Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're absolutely in the right place. The buzz today on the street, a true champion can adapt to anything. Who said that? Floyd Mayweather Jr. You know, the fighter, the boxer. Very, very interesting. And that's a quote I picked because I think it has a lot to do with our topic today. Okay, manufacturers, you know you're listening right now to Supply Chain of the Future. If you have anything to do with manufacturing, this is a listen up, heads up show today. Today. Very important information. So newsflash, if you're a manufacturer who bought into that mantra that you have to run lean, that's great. Run lean, run mean. Get the job done. Keep your costs down. Keep your staff lean. Embrace technology. It's wonderful. But wait a minute. That's not the end all and be all. We like to say it's time to wake up and smell the coffee or smell the roses, depending on where you are in the world. Now it's time to start evolving to an athletic, ha, hence my reference to Floyd Mayweather Jr., Athletic, agile workforce. Why do we say this? Well, look at what's going on in the world. Your customers are demanding faster, more personalized production. Some of them even want what we used to call the make-for-me generation. They want a lot size of one. Uh-huh. Personalized, customized now. Give it to me when I want it. The benefits of agility include a short customer order cycle. That's what you want. And the ability to maintain your high-quality standards and control your costs in order to meet their demands. But it's all got to come together. So how are you going to accomplish this going from lean into this agile manufacturing model? Well, it takes a holistic, flexible production process. That sounds like a mystery. Don't worry. Don't fret. We have an excellent panel here today of experts. We're waiting for one of our guests still to call in, but so far we have two on the line. Let me tell you who they are before I introduce them. First up, we're going to be welcoming Vic Bracardi. You want to look him up, B-R-A-C-C-A-R-D-I. He's the president of RTS Consulting Automation. And then joining us on the panel, we're still hoping he calls in Tony Pasquinelli, Senior Business Analyst, MES Lead at Dana, D-A-N-A, uh, who sent me a wonderful quote. I hope we can get him on. And rounding out the panel is Mike Lackey, the SAP Global Vice President of Solution Management for LOB Manufacturing. So let's get started with our opening quotes, which is how we love to start the show. Vic Bricardi has sent me a quote from the inimitable Richard Branson. I wanted to find out where Richard Branson stands on the 2016 Forbes list of wealthiest people in the world. And I had to go searching. It took me a while. He's down to number 286 because he's only worth $4.9 billion. A year ago, he's worth $5.1. I don't know where the money went. But anyway, Sir Richard Charles Nicholas Branson, KT. I don't even know what those numbers mean, what those letters mean. Born July 18, 1950. He's a mere 
was he 66 years old? He's an English businessman and investor, best known as the founder of the Virgin Group, which comprises more than 400 companies. Very interesting brands and started becoming an entrepreneur at age 16. His first business venture was a magazine called Student. Then he set up a mail order record business in 1970. In 72, he opened a chain of record stores, which we remember as Virgin Records, turned that into Virgin Megastores. And what can I tell you? So here's the quote Vic Bacardi has selected from Richard Branson, quote, the key is to set realistic customer expectations and then not to just meet them, but to exceed them, preferably in unexpected and helpful ways. Vic Bricardi, how are you? I'm excellent, Bonnie. Thank you very much and uh, uh, for the introduction. We're, we're delighted to have you. Did you know that Branson had slipped down to 286 wealthiest men? Does that bother, <laughs> does that bother you, Vic? Tell me the truth. You're going to stay awake at night worrying about him? <laughs> My God, <laughs> I didn't realize. <laughs> I know, I know. You might, might have picked somebody who was a little higher up, right? <laughs> My apologies. I will, I will aim to be better next time. <laughs> I appreciate that. So tell me about this quote. It's a great quote, by the way, and it's, it's very perfect for what we're talking about here. So why don't you tell us how you picked the quote, and then give me a little lead into what is Agile Manufacturing. Why are we giving this newsflash to our manufacturing audience? Well, I um, I picked the quote because I, I believe that customers, consumers, are becoming ever so more demanding with their buying expectations these days. And consumers love choice. They prefer to get a product exactly as they want it, personalized and without compromise. You know, for example, motorcycles, shoes, laptops, window coverings, even your Coca-Cola beverage can have a unique custom name on the label these days just by ordering it on Coke's website. So these are some of the products whereby the customer can and does directly impact the manufacturing process. And really, you know, moving forward, I believe consumers want unique products to suit their personal tastes with choices on colors, sizes, function, and product options. And speaking to, you know, you mentioned, you know, short order cycles. Consumers love instant gratification. They are increasingly getting used to it and are often willing to pay a premium for it. You know, I suspect we may, we may all have ordered a product with overnight shipping at some point in time. In fact, soon we're going to be in an era where we'll get our products in 30 minutes via drone delivery right to our door. <laughs> How remarkable is that? I know, so, I know. Have that, by the way, has a drone darkened your door any time recently, Vic? <laughs> no, but I, I've heard that Amazon is doing um, you know, quite extensive tests with drone deliveries in British Columbia as we speak. So I'm sure it's just a matter of time before you order a product and, you know, by golly, within 30 minutes, uh, the doorbell will ring or your cell phone will ring, and, and sure enough, the product is there at the door. And, and, and hence, you know, going back to the quote, um, you know, I wanted to show the importance of exceeding the customer expectation. <laughs> 
Are you still there, Vic? We just got yep. a lot of noise on your line. Okay, sorry about that. So exceeding, we've heard the word, Vic, the word you need to delight your customers. Where does that fall in between Branson says unexpected and helpful ways? Is that all part of being delighted? Uh, absolutely. I think when the, when the customer, when the consumer can select exactly what he wants in a product and then receive it within a short period of time to, to really hone in on that instant gratification of making the purchase, I think that customer is a long-term customer. Okay, thank you very much. And long-term is what we're looking for. You know what? We're still having trouble getting Tony Pasconelli. I'm going to have the engineer call him in the UK. Justin, I'm putting his number into the chat box. So I'm going to introduce, while we're, we're stalling here, I'm going to introduce Mike Lackey, SAP Global VP of Solution Management, LOB Manufacturing. And Mike has sent us a fascinating quote from Bono. Uh, let me read the quote. Well, first of all, Bono's real name is Paul David Hewson. He was H-E-W-S-O-N. He was born in 1960, another young one. Like Richard Branson, known by his stage name Bono, was an Irish singer, songwriter, musician, venture capitalist, businessman, and philanthropist known over the world for his good deeds. And interestingly enough, Bono was granted an honorary knighthood by Queen Elizabeth II of the UK for his service to the music industry and his humanitarian work. Now, here's the quote. I'm going to read the quote, and then, Mike, I'm going to give a second quote that may go along with it. Uh, according to Bono, my heroes are the ones who survived doing it wrong who made mistakes but recovered from them. And here's the second quote I found, Mike. I think it dovetails beautifully. Overcoming my dad telling me I could never amount to anything is what has made me the megalomaniac that you see today. Mike Lackey, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for joining us. Tell me, are you a big fan of Bono? You too? Talk to me. You know, um, my generation, Bono was it, and he's still it today. Um, not only what he's done on the stage and with creativity and, and his music, but what he's contributed to the world, right, to make it a better place. And when I think about manufacturing, we are today, the quotes that you, that you just went through, we're pushing every day in manufacturing for excellence, to do it better, to do it faster, and you make mistakes. And you know what? You learn from them. You, you correct it. You don't stop. You keep pushing that envelope uh, to deliver on those delighted customer expectations. Um, you know, we're asked to do more with less. And, you know, when I looked at it, Bono in his music and the way he lives his life is, uh, you know, is a great example to keep pushing that envelope. I think that band and he has evolved throughout time and never got, it never got stale. It's always fresh and it's always different. And uh, that's why I chose Bono for today's uh, quote. Thank you, Mike. I'm, I'm thinking of entertainment as something where you need to be fresh and constantly moving and agile. That's our key word today, agile manufacturing. In a sense to me, and tell me if this is too far a stretch, Mike, in a sense, entertainers, uh, anybody in, let's say, in the fashion industry, they need to keep fresh and new because the trends are changing. Social media has changed the conversation. It's not yesterday or 18 months ago or what's next season. It's two seconds from now, a new trend could start, and you've got to be there, which puts pressure on the manufacturers to be agile. But I'm thinking entertainment. If you're not putting out the right, we used to call them records, Mike and Vic, didn't we? Albums? I don't even know if a CD or a dropping on on uh, Amazon or YouTube or, or iTunes, I don't know if that's an album anymore. If you're not fresh and new, 
Nobody's going to buy. Nobody's going to put you on the bestseller list. Nobody's going to invite you to be in their movies, to do the soundtracks, to perform on stage. Am I right, Mike? That's that's the, the agility in entertainment. I think that has to go back into manufacturing. What do you think? Yeah, listen, I agree. And thank you for not bringing up 8-track tape players, okay? <laughs> oh, you're a dear. I, I knew I liked you, Mike. <laughs> I, I heard about those in my mother's womb. Let's just leave it at that, okay? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you're exactly right. There's examples um, that can be used from the entertainment industry that, that's very applicable down in manufacturing. You think about it. If, if you deliver music or a sound for one market... The U.S. and it cannot expand globally into into Asia, into the into Europe, you know, Germany, UK. You're missing mm-hmm. huge opportunity, and you're not going to be that global icon or reach your full potential if you're not writing words and music that touches the hearts and souls of uh, you know the global audience. And I think that's a lot like manufacturing. We, you know, you don't just think about one geographic market. You're thinking global now, and you're mm-hmm. thinking, how can I tweak it? I, you know, I would. It'd be interesting to see a Bono concert here in the U.S. and go see one in Japan, see one in China, and then see one in, in Europe. Are they tweaked just for that market? You know, is the stage design a little different for that market uh, that, that's helping them touch that audience? And I think that's uh, one of the challenges, and we can learn from that in manufacturing, is as we go global, you know, we, we want to design globally, we want to manufacture globally, but we want to get close to that customer, and we want to make sure that our supply chain uh, can respond quickly and agile to um, you know, to those changing customers' demands, both by geography. And, you know, the one thing today is social media. If you don't like something, you know, you don't wait, to, you know, you don't wait right. a couple of days to read a newspaper. You see it immediately. It's, uh, you know, the response, the me generation. I really love that make for the me generation. It's, yep. They respond quickly. So we don't have much time to respond uh, to to missing expectations, so that's became a very important, and that's why I think in the entertainment industry, like Bono, put a lot of time in the preparation and put a lot of thought into where they want to go artistically and create with the creativity, and that's the way we're doing it in manufacturing. We're spending more time really thinking about where we want to go and how are we going to change the way we support sales, marketing, and really at the end of the game, our customers, and how do we get it to them faster. Uh, one thing I really liked about Vic said, you know, he's going to be sitting in his recliner, doorbell is going to ring, and, you know, there's going to be a package from a drone. Heck, you know, when I build a new house, I'm putting a drone chute in my house so he can just, you know, drop it right into <laughs> just like a laundry chute so that drone can just drop it right through my attic and into my, into my, you know, into my house. I uh, love it. Into the garage, <laughs> into the attic, into the basement. Where Remember we used to have, uh, not we, excuse me, before my time, they used to have the coal chutes going into the house yes, so that the yes. coal, I know, we're going to have to have a drone chute. Thank you, Mike. Mike, thank you for, uh, for accepting or rolling with my analogy to the entertainment business in terms of athletic agility and being there where your customers need to be because it is instant. It is make for me. Thank you. And I have great news. We have Tony Pasquinelli here on the line with us, Senior Business Analyst, MES Lead at Dana. Tony, we're delighted to have you. And Tony has sent me a quote that we thought might have been from Benjamin Franklin, and in fact, maybe it is, but I did my digging, Tony. I'm a, I'm a, a, a aficionado or a, let's say a 
dogged researcher when it comes to quote sources. The quote that he sent me, Tony sent, is a stitch in time saves nine. Now, we like to think it's one of the uh, uh, the almanac from Ben Franklin, and it's all this great stuff, but I looked it up, and apparently it was first said in a different form by somebody named Thomas Fuller, get this, in his book, Nomologia, that's G-N-O-M-O-L-O-G-I-A, Nomologia, Adages and Proverbs, Wise Sentences and Witty Sayings, Ancient and Modern foreign and British from 1732 and the quote in that time was a stitch in time may save nine. The word may was in there however it was stated later by Francis Bailey B-A-I-L-Y in a journal published later on in 1856 and the may was dropped so it goes back to a stitch in time saves nine. Bailey was an English astronomer and he supposedly said this in 1797 in his uh, in his journal. He was an astronomer made famous for his observations of Bailey's beads, B-E-A-D-S, during an eclipse of the sun. I'm going to stop there. Tony Pasquinelli, we're delighted to have you. How are you, Tony? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much. We're, we're so happy. So talk to me. A stitch in time saves nine. We're talking agile manufacturing. We're talking get past lean and mean and get into the agility that's required to keep up with make for me, customer trends, everybody wants it now, and drones we've been talking about. So Tony, why don't you share with us how you picked this quote and relate it to the topic, please. Yeah, I, I think maybe to, to a lot of people this would sort of be counterintuitive because the idea of annual, agile manufacturing is obviously to move quickly and be able to keep up with, you know, trends and changes. I think I, I sort of took this from the idea of, I think what we run into, and I'm especially speaking, you know, from my sort of experiences on the shop floor in manufacturing is if you, if you try to change things quickly, you almost end up with sort of a Band-Aid type methodology where you're, I'm going to change this today because this is a nice solution. I'm going to change this over here because this fixes, you know, what we're in trying to do right now. But at the end of the day, if you truly want to be agile and you want to be able to set yourself up to make changes on the fly and to be able to, you know, provide for the customer and or, you know, whoever your customer might be, whether it's an end customer or an OEM, et cetera, you have to sort of step back, I think, and take a look at how you want to do things and really truly make a strategy to put yourself in a position to really be agile so that when things do change in the future, you can really change with them business-wide instead of being a change here, a change there that in the end of, you know, at the end of the day is going to give you disparate solutions all over the place that end up taking time to support and that actually end up pulling resources in a place you don't want them that's going to make you less agile in the future than you are now. So that's kind of why I, I, I sort of picked that because it's, in my experiences, it, it's been the former far more than the latter. I think if people really want to go down this agile road, they need mm-hmm. to really think about how they're going to get there. Thank you. And Tony, you just brought up a point that's very interesting to me. You mentioned if you have to punt and move things, you move people from, you move resources from one place to the other quickly to get it done. But we start, I started out saying at the beginning that lean isn't just going to do it anymore. It has to be athletic and agile. So to your point, if you need to find somebody to do something because, just because things aren't working or there's a, a crunch or a push or something breaks down and you're running lean, you may not have those extra or duplicate or mirror image machines or personnel. Am I right about that? Absolutely. Yeah, and if it turns out that because of the fixes and solutions you put in weren't thought through, then all of a sudden now you have breakdowns and issues where people and resources are used simply just to get what you put in back up as opposed to being able to move forward and putting a new solution that's going to get you where you need to be at the end of the day. You're absolutely Thank right. you very much. 
Thank you. Thank you, Tony. I, I, uh, this is not my area of expertise, but as you and Mike and Vic are talking, I'm trying to pick up on threads in, in, uh, in the common lay language and see if I can figure out how to interpret some of this. And, and that makes sense to me. Thank you so much. And let's tr- circle back to Vic Bricardi. You've all been working very, very hard here on the opening of the show. And quickly, I want to know where are you calling from and what's in your cup today? What are you drinking? If it's something special, if not, what are you planning to drink to celebrate later? So Vic, where are thou and what's in your cup today well bonnie i'm in uh, toronto ontario canada today uh headquarters and um i'm uh, i'm an espresso drinker <laughs> perhaps mm. due to my uh, italian cultural background uh, perhaps uh, um i find it jump starts my day uh, as well a booster in the mid-afternoon here and there um you might say it's my sort of Red Bull to life, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Do you have a famous, a favorite and famous brand of espresso? Use pods, um, or do you buy it ready-made? Uh, no, no, I, uh, I buy the beans and uh, kind of grind them up and make each individual espresso very, very special and unique, if you will. I'm, I think you are special and unique, Vic, and that's what we're talking about here on the show today, how to make the customer experience special and unique. We all want to think we're the one. We're the one that that one-in-a-lifetime one drone is dropping that once-in-a-lifetime product on our once-in-a-lifetime cold shoot to get it into Mike Lackey's basement or garage or attic. I think that's what we're talking about. Thank you, Tony Pasquinelli. I think you're in the U.K. Why don't you tell us where you are and what are you drinking today? What time is it, Tony? It is almost 3.30 here. Okay. You guys. And yeah, what I'm are you in drinking? Birmingham in the UK. Uh, right now I'm drinking bottled water, and to be honest, I am a very boring drinker, and unfortunately it kind of goes back to I can't drink anything with carbonation. I have a uh, sort of a medical issue that won't allow me to do that, so I can't drink pop, I can't drink beer, can't drink anything mm. that has carbonation, no you know, you know, fuzzy water, anything like that. So I stick to a lot of root juices, and in the morning what wakes me up is orange juice. I wish I were more uh, a Paisan like Vic and make my own espresso and get ready to go on that. But not, Tell me something. There, but. Is that orange juice home squeezed? Is it fresh squoze, as some of us say, or is it uh, you have a special brand you like to recommend? Uh, I'm far too lazy. I just usually drop <laughs> down to the uh, the store in the morning and grab whatever bottles there for me. To be honest, I can't even tell you what, what brands they are. Okay, well, we're just glad to have you on the show. By the way, are you a tea drinker, Tony? Because it's almost tea time in the UK, right? I am not, yeah. It's, it's, it's hard for me to fathom that people actually like tea, but I, I see them doing it all the time here. <laughs> Tony, I'm looking at your picture here. I have all of your guest photos in front of me in my notes because I like to see the people to whom I'm speaking on live radio and we've got a very serious expression on Mike Lackey. Mike looks like he's, he's just changing the world here. Vic is beaming from ear to ear and Tony you're just staring into your camera and I said how can I get this guy to smile and you are actually I hear you smiling when you said at least you made us smile when you said I don't get why people drink tea. I wasn't sure why they did either Tony. Let me tell you a quick story. I uh, traveled to Neuchâtel 
Kiel, Switzerland, lived with a family in their home as a an American French student and studied oh. at the University of Neuchatel when I was 18 back in another century, a millennium. Excuse me. You all know that's probably very true. And I, I visited Paris and Madrid and London that summer and uh, uh, it, countries. Uh, Italy was included and uh, I think we went to, anyway, long tour. It was two months. But I lived with this Swiss, Swiss family, Tony, and all they served us for breakfast as part of this plan they came up with for the tour company. There were four of us young ladies from the U.S. All they came up with for breakfast, lunch was a big meal, dinner was sparse, breakfast was just a cup of tea, two croissants, and some fabulous jam. I had to get creative, Tony, because I had to go to the university and study. I had to spend the whole day working hard. Then I had to go out and party with my new friends in New Chatel at night. So what was I going to do? So I learned to dose up the tea with a lot of milk. And I made it into a tea-flavored milk drink because I just needed something to get me going. I couldn't live on this flavored water. So that's how I learned to drink tea when I was 18 in New Chatel. Tony, thank you for the memories. Let's turn to Mike Lackey. Mike, where are you and what are you drinking today? Any good nostalgia stories? Well, first of all, let's just be clear. That package from the drone is not coming to my basement. It's going to come right next to me in my recliner, so I do not You're really embracing here. this delightful experience, Mike. I can tell. We're really delighted. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm sitting here in the, in the beautiful south here in Atlanta uh, where the temperature is going to be pretty hot today. And since I am, you know, try to think globally, and it's already in the afternoon, and Tony, I'm having a little dark and stormy with my coffee this morning. What's dark and stormy? It is the official drink of the Bahamas. It's a little ginger beer topped off with rum and uh, with a a lime on top, and as you shake the glass, it just turns dark like a storm. Oh, that sounds like fun. Well, I, I, I have a question for you. Is the drone going to deliver that recliner, that that recliner chair, or do you already have one? <laughs> I'm already going to have one, but it's going to bring my dark and stormy with my coffee so I don't have to get up and I can be more effective and more efficient <laughs> setting in my chair. Oh, Mike, you really embraced this thing. I, I'm very honored that you're sharing that with us. We are we are delighted. Too much laughter here, guys. We're going to have to get to work. I'm going to give you all a quick break. We've been working hard here. Uh, to our listeners, you're listening to Extended Supply Chain of the Future with Game Changers. Our topic is agile manufacturing, evolving to efficiency, or let's just say to manufacturers, it's time to evolve to efficiency. That's a command. If you want to say the evolution, the efficiency evolution, whatever you want. It's time. you got to do it. Speaking today to Rick Bracardi, Tony Pasquinelli, and Mike Lackey, all very smart people from calling from various places around the world. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and by the way, they don't let me have caffeinated beverages, Tony, on radio show days. For some reason, they think I don't need the caffeine. So I'm just drinking cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with a green straw, and the green is for profitability, and it's for the green gardens that are growing here in this beautiful sunshine in New York, and it's for let's take a quick break and give our panelists a chance to regroup because we're going to come back and do some real work here when we get into the roundtable. A lot of great information coming. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Justin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
rising customer expectations, complex supply networks, and a focus on your business's bottom line make it more important than ever to bring your extended supply chain into the future. Your extended supply chain is one of the most critical components of your business success. From matching supply to demand with efficient order fulfillment to designing and manufacturing amazing products, hear how you can bring your extended supply chain into the future. Our experts discuss how the extended supply chain of the future is producing dramatic results to businesses worldwide. The extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to the extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers. Absolutely. Let's get back. And our topic of the day is agile manufacturing. We're going to be speaking with Vic Bricardi right now to open our roundtable officially. We've talked about how it involves and lets your company, your manufacturing organization, your plant, your operations to use a rapid response to the customer, turning speed and agility into a key competitive advantage. Now let's talk about where, who needs it, where does it apply? Is it location-based? Is it across every industry? Let's talk. So Vic sent me the following statement in his roundtable notes, and I think this is where we're going to begin. He says, Agile is of particular value for manufacturers in countries with large, well-developed local markets with high labor costs. And the three examples he gave, of course, no surprise, are the U.S., Canada, and Germany. So, Vic, why don't you give us a two-minute look at what this does for these countries and how it applies to other countries. Then I'm going to invite Tony Pasquinelli to comment on this topic, and we'll get Mike Glackey in as well. So, Vic, why don't you take the floor? Oh, thank you, Bonnie. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I think it's a multifaceted uh, approach that manufacturers uh, can take. Um, the The value here is that uh, being in close proximity to the market. Uh, a market which can afford the product and the, the 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 options, the customization. Being local to that market enables you to deliver that product with unprecedented speed, um, along with all that personalization. And of course, you know that we cannot you know forget about the quality. So, so the manufacturing process has to be methodical. It has to always produce a high-quality product with the personalization. And you can't do that if, if, if you're offshore. You just can't get the product in the consumer's or the customer's hands quick enough. And hence, it turns really local manufacturing into a competitive advantage. And, and of course, it, it fosters reshoring of the whole manufacturing process. And as, you know, Tony alluded to earlier, uh, you know, companies really have to take an, an engineered approach to thrive on change. So we know that consumers, customers want more. They expect more. Heck, Mike expects the package to be delivered right next to his Lazy Boy chair. Um, 
So, you know, with that, companies have to think, you know, change is inevitable. How am I going to capitalize? And it has to be an engineered approach. It can't be a Band-Aid here and a Band-Aid there, you know, to foster, to foster this change. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, in fact, let me give you an example. Okay, I recall, please. you know, about a year ago, we're working with a confectionery company, and they got a request from a, a large global retailer that had some last-minute changes to their Halloween chocolate bar packaging for a specific local market. Mm-hmm. And this request came mid-September. <laughs> so, you know, the f- confectionery company, the manufacturing engineer, you know, reached out to me and says, you know, can we accommodate this kind of change, you know, within this period of time to meet this requirement for this, you know, specific Halloween chocolate bar packaging. And we looked at the manufacturing process and, 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 and analyzed how can we accommodate them. And we didn't take a haphazard approach. We said, okay, you know, we need to build some of these agile components into the process so that if you get additional or further last-minute requests, you know, the process can easily accommodate them. Confectionery company asked the retailer for a price premium and, you know, was able to accommodate the request, meet delivery with minor adjustments to the manufacturing process. Now, now that's agile. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's doable, but we have to take a strategic engineered approach to agile manufacturing. Thank you, Vic. Great example. You're making my mouth water, and I'm thinking, how many days until Halloween this year? (laughs) OMG. I don't know where the summer went, but all of a sudden you're reminding me, fall is coming. Now I have to make plans for New Year's. Vic, you really, really messed up my calendar. (laughs) Only teasing. Tony Pasquinelli, love to get your POV, your your two cents, or whatever you got in your wallet today. Thoughts on what Vic just shared with us. Tony? Yeah, I think when when you talk about Agile, there's two components to it. One is speed, and the other is really the personalization and I, I think I think offshore companies for years have been able to handle the speed part of it. You know, as long as I get orders out, you know, in time, and as long as I can push product across the sea, even if I have to keep you know a bunch of different types of parts in a warehouse, I can deal with that. What we're seeing now, though, is that people want things more personalized. To where if I have you know a, a boat coming across and it's got a lot of product on it, all of a sudden what they're ordering has changed. I've got a boat in the water that has a bunch of things I don't need. I think that's what we're running into now is, is to be able to personalize quickly on the fly. And I actually read somewhere probably a couple months ago that because people expect what they want when they want it quickly, it's actually mm-hmm. been an advantage to what we'll call more industrialized com- country, the U.S., Canada, et cetera, versus what it was back in the 70s and 80s when, when countries that had you know low labor costs could flood the market with with a bunch of product that people might want. Now that people want something specific, you can't just do that anymore. And I, and I think to what to what Vic is saying, that does give an advantage to to that you know the local markets with higher labor costs, and it does give an advantage to companies that are close to their market and able to be able to handle that. Thank you, Tony. Mike Lackey, love to get your thoughts on this. Agree, disagree, and what about other countries? Do they benefit as well? Yeah, no, I, I agree with what Tony and Vic have stated, but also believe that other countries are, are going to start benefiting as well. Uh, I can tell you I spent a lot of time in, in Asia, and my number one conversation right now is how do they help reduce labor count? Um, so in, in markets mm-hmm. where 
uh, where labor was inexpensive, you just throw labor at your problem, is, is no longer uh, working. I mean, we look at China. There's an initiative called Made in China 2025 where the government hmm. is helping fund any solution that can help make these manufacturing companies more competitive on a global basis. And I think that's at the heart of what's driving this, this new renewed focus on agile manufacturing is industry 4.0, you know, the fourth industrial revolution where it's, you know, automation is becoming a bigger part of the model here. And you've got these cyber physical systems. We're collecting more data. We're able not only collect the data, we're able to analyze it. That's where IoT and, and, and uh, the industrial IoT comes into the model. And having the ability to analyze the data in real time, you know, I have customers that are saying collect the data, analyze the data and respond back to that machine in 100 milliseconds and tell it mm. what to do next. So the speed at which we have to operate in manufacturing to support new business models and this new level of automation is, uh, is what's really pushing us in manufacturing to, uh, to change the way we do business, which is leading to new business models. Really is very, very important. I have a question for you, Mike, before I circle back to Vic and have him tie up this part of our roundtable with hopefully a nice red bow. Uh, Mike, is this uh, newsflash, as I said in my opening, is this breaking news for manufacturers? Is there anybody hiding under a rock, proverbially or virtually or literally saying, nah, we have a strong customer base, they love our product, nobody else makes XYZ. If we don't change the packaging for Christmas, New Year's, Hanukkah, Valentine's Day, they're still going to love it. They want this consistency. They like it just the way it is. Agile, schmagile, we don't need it. Is anybody able to get away with that or thinking that in your observation, Mike? They will not be around in five years. Oh, that long, huh? They can still still exist for a couple they, more years. You can still not. Let's, let's talk about you know what's happening. The new business models that are happening. First of all, the business networks that are out there make access to customers easier than it has ever been before. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's one business network, the Reba Business Network. When you connect, you have access to 1.8 million potential new customers. 1.8 mm-hmm. million. If you get 2% in the first 90 days, that's 32,000 new customers. Can you scale? That's where the agility comes into. Can you scale your manufacturing process to support that number of customers? So the access to customers. And in those buying networks, there is no relationship, Bonnie, with you and I. There's no what's in your, what's in your cup, <laughs> right? It is the data yep. that you're providing and your ability to execute. The Uber model, right? I want five thumbs up, five stars because I delivered what the customer wanted on time at the price they're willing to pay. That type of data is what's going to drive your success in these business models. I was talking with an automotive maker today. In the future, they're not going to sell you a car. They're going to sell you miles or a kilometer. You're going to sign a contract for 100,000 uh, kilometers, and you're going to get 60,000 a sedan, 20,000 a convertible, and 20,000 an SUV. Bonnie, we want to go skiing tomorrow. We're going to get our SUV, put our skis on top, and go to the mountains. It's Mm -hmm. that change in business models is what's really driving this. And if you're not thinking how to compete in the digital world, then you're going to be left behind. And that's where uh, companies are thinking about the digital world, how to market, how to deal with their customers. But now it's being pushed down to manufacturing. And manufacturing is saying, what does this digital transformation mean to me? And that means changing the way 
you access customers and or you deliver on customer expectations. And to me, that's what's driving uh, this. So, no, I don't think companies that are not thinking globally or thinking digitally mm-hmm. are not going to be around. They're, they may be around, but they're not going to be in the global position they are today. Thank you very much, Mike. I, I appreciate that. And that's that's part of the newsflash and the heads up of why we're covering this topic today. So thank you. Let's circle back to Vic Bricardi. Vic, very briefly, you want to tie this one up for me so I can move on to some of Tony's notes, please? Sure. I, uh, you know, I, I, I concur with, uh, with Mike. The, um, the digital transformation these days within the manufacturing sector presents horrendous amounts of data from the manufacturing process. And to be able to use that data, to run analytics on that data, you know, to further improve, one, the product offering, the speed at which the product gets to the marketplace is, is, is just phenomenal. Um, you know, the, the analytics that can be driven based on huge amounts of manufacturing data will, will surely create a significant step change in how manufacturers um, produce their products moving forward. Thank you very much. And I am looking now at the notes from Tony Pasquinelli. Tony, let's talk about strategic partnerships. Your comment here in the notes is most companies don't have the resources in place to react at every level to agile manufacturing, which is the point of our conversation. So you say strong strategic partnerships must be cultivated and maintained. Why don't you expand that for us, Tony? How, where, when, how do you find that strategic partner? How does that add to your ability? Why don't you tell us more, please? Sure. I guess uh, to start off, when just some of what Mike and Vic were saying is, when you think about where you need to be, you're, you're talking about analytics. You're talking about being able to pull in schedules, uh, new part creation, the bombs of those parts. How can I change machines over? How can I change platforms over to keep, you know, to keep up with the change in the demand and 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 what the customers are expecting now? You know, sort of at the drop of a hat. When you think about all those things from a systems point of view, it's very unlikely that there's going to be a company out there that's going to have the talent in place to handle all those things or the expertise to, to be able to do it. Even with tons of training, even a large global company that might have manufacturing plants around the world, you're still going to be falling short in, in you know some of the, the talent that you need and some of the understanding that you need. And quite frankly, things change so quickly then as well that you know when you have people who are responsible for taking in orders or, or purchasing or procuring or managing the shop floor, they're not going to be able to keep up with what's coming down the pipe all the time. You know, they don't have the time for the training. They don't have time to look to see what's out there. So you're going to have to find groups, people, companies, vendors, suppliers, et cetera, that have some of this talent and some of this expertise and really try to create a, a partnership with them so where they understand, you know, what you need specifically, maybe functionally in certain areas, where you want that to go and how you can maintain open and how you can have solutions in place that can be pulled in and and dropped out at the drop of a dime if something changes with what your solution needs are. So I I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a matter of who's got the expertise, who's got the talent to do this. And if it's not in-house, you have to go outside and find it. And you can't grab a new partner or a new vendor or a new solution every time something changes in your environment. You need that partnership to where people know what you have now, where you want to go, and, and, and what it takes to get there. Thank you very much. Let's move on to Mike Lackey. Mike, comments on what Tony just shared with us, please. I think Tony is absolutely right. I think that, um, you know, as we look at 
being able to execute on these new visions and the agile manufacturing, uh, you know, you're going to look out, you're going to look for some outside that normal supplier base for technology and partners that can bring it all together. And uh, it's, uh, you know, technology is changing quickly and keeping up with it and being able to understand how technology solves a business problem to get you to that next level is going to be key. So I agree totally with Tony and, and, and what Vic said moving forward. Thank you very much. And let's circle around to Vic. Vic, any thoughts about those strategic partnerships? Any examples you want to share? Well, uh, I, I think not only the strategic partnership, but you know, there has to be thought into the actual partnerships. Are the, you know, are the visions aligned um, mm-hmm. to the common goal. So, you know, for manufacturing, you know, the vision to be agile, the vision to be able to to produce products as per customer demand, um, you know, the, the, the partner also has to have that vision because they have to be thinking about, you know, how can we change, how can we make this process suit the vision? So, you know, the, the partners, the ecosystem, you know, have to be on the same page for the vision because every spare moment, you know, one needs to be thinking, how can I make it better? How can I make it faster? How can I cater to that consumer's requirements? And so, you know, the partner system is very important, but the right partners that share the vision are even more important to get you to that final goal. Thank you very much. And now, Tony, anything you want to wrap up? I think we have a good agreement on what you're talking about with the strategic partnerships and the fact that there needs to be alignment on the goals. Uh, Tony, just a quick question for you. What if a partner comes in and says, well, we can do this, but, you know, we have a different vision for this. We think you ought to be going in a different direction, and we want to come in and take over this part of the process, and we want to have more more autonomy. Does that ever happen with these partnerships? Sure, I think it can, and I, I think in some cases that might be warranted. I think what ah. you have to be careful of is, is, is if you have a, a strategic partner that's really just looking to sell things, and it doesn't matter if it matches your vision, it doesn't matter if it matches your strategy, they just want to be able to put solutions in place in, in many different areas. That's what you have to look out for, but if somebody does come in and, and say, hey, you know, we have, we have a different vision of how this might work, if they lay it out, and if it, if it matches the strategy of the company, not necessarily just the strategy of, of your annual agile manufacturing, but the strategy of the company, they might have, they may be coming from a place where they, they understand maybe a little better than your company does what you really need. And it's, it's certainly worth looking into. Okay. Thank you. I was just wondering about, you know, the newcomer coming to the party and saying, hey, it shouldn't be, uh, it shouldn't be, um, I don't know, Asian fusion. It should be an Italian smorgasbord. We're going to change everything. And that's the way it's going to be. Okay. Very interesting. And now, Mike, I'm going to turn to you. We have, oh, about four minutes. I can stretch this to four minutes before we go to our crystal ball predictions round. Oh, I think we've been talking about the future quite a bit already. Mike, I have a couple of interesting things in your notes I'd like you to expand. And we may not have time to go around the table, but I want to make sure we get this on the table. You're talking in your notes to me about the innovator's dilemma. You say he or she who innovates the fastest, reaps the benefits, and then you look back historically and say the journey to Industry 4.0 started centuries ago, back when our ancestors were using water and steam and electric power to run production facilities in the first and second industrial revolutions. Can you just take this history out for me a little bit farther and bring us up to 4.0, Mike, instead of me reading this? Love to hear it in your words. 
Yeah, I mean, if you Industry 4.0 was a focus really that was created in Germany about bringing jobs back, bringing them back offshore. To do that, they knew that they had to change. They were looking at the technology that was out there, these uh, cyber-physical production systems that are self-correcting, this collecting data, analyzing data, uh, and applying it to the quality and the production rates. You know, if you go back in time, we've had these these industrial revolutions, like we said, you know, when uh, we started using water and steam and then electrical power came about and then the computers came a big part of manufacturing. And now it seems to all be coming together in this fourth generation with access to more technology than we've ever had before. Uh, I know in my 30 years of manufacturing, and yes, I did have an eight-track tape player. <laughs> oh, you tied that thread up beautifully. I didn't have to do it. I don't know. I don't have any idea what you're talking about, Mike. You Go got ahead. it. In your mom's womb. We got it. <laughs> Thank but, you. You heard me. <laughs> but you, you know, to bring it all to, together here, but in my 30 years, I've never seen the access to technology. I mean, I... I look at people talking about big data. Well, heck, we've been collecting big data for, you know, for the last 30 years in manufacturing. But today we have the technology not only to collect it, analyze it, and tell the machine how to self-correct, the self-learning, and making that a reality. But things like additive manufacturing, 3D printing is going to change the whole supply chain. And it's going to change the way we look at manufacturing. Internet of Things, not only are we going to collect more data, but we're going to collect the right data and apply it back to manufacturing. So when you start bringing this all together, we're at a place that companies can change their business models based and manufacturing can change to support that business model. You know, I have a customer that used to that would sell you a year ago air compressors. Today, they sell you air. Can you imagine mm-hmm. coming home and your kid says, Dad, what do you do? Or Mom, what do you do? I sell air, <laughs> or I make air. And by the way, it's extremely profitable. You know, by the usage, and that's what customers are asking for. And our manufacturing processes are changing because of the technology that's there, the innovations. And we talk about the innovations uh, dilemma, the innovators dilemma. Dilemma: How fast can I get innovation into my processes, into my products? Because the one who innovates the fastest creates the market and reaps the biggest benefit. And that's one of our biggest challenges is as we automate and we change our processes, how quickly can we get innovation into our products and get that innovation into the hands of our customers? And I would tell you, I'd say, you know, if you look at two of the best, and I love to see this battle every day, is between Apple and Samsung. Look at Mm -hmm. the smartphones. Man, they are just innovating at a pace uh, this, it's kind of mind-boggling when you think about all the technology and, and the certifications and the compliance they have to have. So, um, you know, that's where it's all coming together. I, I think it's a great time. Uh, manufacturing is becoming the it business right now. People, uh, you know, want to be in development and marketing. I think you got a lot of kids today are saying, you know what, I want to make it. I want to see what's coming out the door. And manufacturing is becoming a very hot market right now. Mike Lackey, I'm going to consider that your crystal ball prediction because you positioned it so beautifully for the future of where kids, millennials, everybody coming into the business world, the work will want to do. So I'm going to consider you the first one rather than the last one in our crystal ball predictions round. Vic Bricardi, I can give you 60 seconds for your predictions and let's hear what you have to say on our topic of extended supply chain of the future, specifically agile manufacturing and evolving to efficiency. 60 seconds, Mr. Bricardi. 
go. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, I think manufacturing's restructuring and re-engineering themselves in a response really to the challenges and demands of the 21st century. They, they, they will have to overcome the challenges of demanding customers who will seek high-quality and low-cost personalized products. The future brings manufacturing much, much closer to the consumer, enabling them to select personalized products they feel will be just for them. And really, for this to happen, manufacturing must embrace building a unit of one thinking and a configure-to-order production approach. In the end, the winners will be able to give the consumer what they want, when they want it, and exceed their expectations in every way. Thank you very much. I like that. You wrap that up beautifully. Tony Pasquinelli, last but of course not least, I saved a whole. Tony, I can give you 90 seconds for your predictions. It's a bonus because the others were so concise. So, Tony, have fun with it. What's your prediction? Well, uh, you know, kind of how Mike jokes about having, you know, these things delivered right to his house right next door to him or right next to him in his recliner. We have to remember that there's there's a whole generation of kids that are growing up right now who are used to getting what they want, pretty much when they want it, things at their at their fingertips. And so, obviously, this isn't going away. And I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a, a huge market for agile manufacturing. I think Mike alluded to before, where you're starting to see, you know, the shop floor being kind of a cool place for young people to want to go. They're seeing what the technology is there, and they're seeing what they're what they can maybe do in that space to make a difference. But I think what I'm seeing right now, and I'm not sure Vic and Mike have seen this, but it's it's already getting to the point now where it's really difficult to find people with those skills on the manufacturing floor that can help with agile manufacturing. It really is. And I think as we go, as mm. this explodes and, and more people are, are trying to get to this point, there's going to be, I think, maybe a dearth of a talent out there who can do this. And I think countries, I mean, I think Germany started a bit now, but I think other countries are going to have to look into how they train and how they educate you know, their citizens to make sure they can keep up with what's coming on, on the shop floor in, in terms of agile manufacturing. I mean, there's, there's a lot that's coming out now, and, the, and people certainly have to have the training, the skill to be able to do this. And I'm starting to see that, you know, if you want a controls engineer or a robotics engineer or somebody who can do machine integration, they're, they're pretty full right now, and there are a lot of these companies are, are at capacity. So we're going to see, I think, a, a change in, in how we go about training people to be able to, to meet this demand. Thank you very much. All very interesting and very on point. Mike Lackey, I have a quick uh, anecdote for you very quickly. We used to call buying air something you did on eBay when you wanted to sell a bulk number of items and post them individually. And eBay had a one-cent posting sale where you weren't going to pay a a percent of the value for your listing fee. So you would stay stay up overnight. And I did this when I was – that's all I had to do uh, between jobs. I would create 25 different listings of either nothing or the same item. Then get three or four hours of sleep, then wake up and then put in the actual product I wanted to sell. But we used to call that, at least I did, selling air where you had nothing in particular to sell. You just wanted to lock in that listing fee. Do you remember those days, Mike? Probably not. <laughs> Vaguely. I, I, I <laughs> well, this was after this, night, but, this was after the A-track, so, you know, I was I was right. just a, a, a young kid. Anyway, I want to thank our three panelists. You're all wonderful. You were delightful, and you certainly delivered on the topic. Shout out to Shane Ellis for booking such an interesting topic, an interesting guest, and to Rick Imber at SAP for sponsoring this series. So, Vic Bricardi, president of RTS Consulting Automation, thank you very much. Tony Pasquinelli, senior business analyst, MES lead at 
Dana. Thank you, Tony and Mike Lackey, SAP Global, VP of Solution Management, LLB Manufacturing. Thank you. And a shout-out to Justin Jackman, our engineer here at the Business Channel. Thank you, Justin, for getting us on the air. We did it and keeping us there. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. I don't know where seatbelts are manufactured, but here's my call to action anyway. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Maybe we want to custom-design seatbelts for game changers. Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the extended supply chain of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.